Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, thank you for the gift of our lives and our faith. And Lord, I ask that you'd continue to bless us. Help us to be aware, Lord, of the ways in which you long to permeate and permeate our hearts, our minds, our lives, our relationships, our homes, and radiate out into the atmosphere, a a culture, a whole way of seeing life that glorifies you, that adores you, that acknowledges you. And it's something, Lord, that we can sow into the hearts and minds of our children and our grandchildren, our loved ones, and that, Lord, we can help contribute to the growth of culture in our parishes. And yes, we can be um, missionary disciples bringing uh, a Catholic culture in an evangelistic and even prophetic way out into the world in which we live. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did you hear what I just did in that prayer? I took the concept of culture and used it as a way, as a lens, or as a doorway through which to understand our entire call as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus Christ. God planted you here on this earth by design, not an accident, not chaotic, not by chance, right? The Lord planted you here. And, and many of you have already discerned your call. You know, you know what your vocation is. Most of you listening are married. Now, maybe you're single again through one way or another. Many of you have kids. And you know this. You know this. You've heard this on Sacred Heart Radio. You hear this uh, in Catholic teachings. You read it yourselves that the family is the way of the church. The family is the fundamental cell of society. And so it's in our families where we first attempt to live our Catholic faith. And it's not just by having our kids memorize Catholic beliefs, imposing Catholic rules and regulations upon our kids in terms of the lifestyle we live, and fostering in them Catholic realities, whether it's moral realities or um, religious uh, expressions in the home. No, it's more than that. You hear me talk all the time on Sound Insight about the reality of fostering an encounter with Jesus Christ, right? St. John Paul II, Pope Benedict, uh, Pope Francis, uh, so much, so many in in our tradition, all, what do they talk about? It's that encounter with Jesus Christ. It's that event where Christ breaks in. He becomes real to us in an intimate, personal way through the living of our Catholic faith that makes that living of the faith alive and not just a heavy burden. The essential center of our life of faith is the encounter and the living in communion that is the fruit of that encounter with Jesus Christ. It happens most profoundly in the sacraments. It gets nurtured through our life of prayer. And then it's something that we radiate and we are open and attentive attentive to internally as the Spirit prompts us, uh, uh, externally as we walk through our day with the reality that Christ is with us and might show up in a distressing disguise around us in the events and in the people we meet and in the world around us through our Heavenly Father who's transcendent beyond the world and holds this world in His hands and through this world whom we encounter through His power and through His shepherding care. Boom! There it is. That's what a Catholic life is. But that gives rise, in the words of, in the teachings of St. John Paul II, to what is called a culture. And a culture is, again, this unspoken spirit, this atmosphere that we take for granted when we come into an environment. You have a culture in your workplace. Like if you walk into a meeting and, and you're there with your executives, there's a certain behavior that's not like stated every time you walk into the room. You just know that's how you behave when you walk here and you're in his presence, and this is how the meeting occurs. I talked about culture in my family home, and we'd have Sunday dinners, and Carrie came to it, and she wasn't aware that this is our culture, that we hang around for hours and we eat. There's a certain culture that you have in 
thousand situations, right? It's the unspoken spirit and ideals that are present in your society, in your parish, but it all gets traced back and rooted to your family, in your society, right? What's the, the here's the joke, right? Uh, it's not a joke, but it, this, is, <laughs> this is a funny reality. So I grew up in America, and in America, you wait in line, right? If you're going to go to the movie theater, you wait in line. And if someone were to cut ahead, you say, hey, hey, what are you doing? Get back to the end of the line. That's not fair. That's not right. You don't cut lines. That's in the atmosphere. It's just not something you do. I remember going to Italy, living there, and in Italy, lines are suggestions. So you go, I can remember going into a post office and it was literally a crowd. It was a crowd around the woman in that one little like service desk in front of her. And it was a crowd literally coming from 180 degrees all the way around from one side of the table to the other. And it was just pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. And you're kind of worming your way in and worming your way in from all these different directions. And then you stick your hand out and you hope she's going to pull yours next. That's a thing. That, that was a thing. That was the culture. It wasn't like this is wrong or this is bad. It was, no, this is how they, in their community, shaped their life. When I first moved there, living in Italy, I can remember stores would shut down, right? Okay, well, stores shut down, Tom. Not every place is open, right? No, no, stores opened at 8, and you know when they shut down? They shut down at 12. Yeah, 12 noon. They shut down. And, and then they opened up again when? Four in the afternoon. Okay, now I'm talking gas stations, barbershops, grocery stores, supermarkets, clothing stores, everything shut down at 12 noon until four in the afternoon. Why would they do that? Well, so that all of the people who worked at these stores could go home and could have a meal with their family, and they could have their reposo, their, their rest after their big meal of the day. Now, economically, was that the most efficient and productive way to do things? Well, no, probably not. And you get some like entrepreneurial, innovative Americans over there, and they're going to say, let's stay open from 12 to 4. Let's capture all that latent uh, crowd waiting to buy, right? <laughs> Different culture. It's not right, wrong, good, bad. It's different culture. It's different, expressive of different ideals, right? Different, a different spirit, a different atmosphere. But, you know, there are atmospheres, there are culture, cultures that get formed from a way of seeing life, a way of relating to certain moral issues and certain realities, and then certain behaviors, sometimes expressed in laws and policies, that are expressive of a culture that is anti-Catholic, that is diabolically disorienting. And we better be paying attention to that because if we're living in a moment, and we are, where the wider culture in the society that we're a part of has become toxic and corrosive to Catholic faith, and it has, please do not, I, I don't know, do I have to really make a case? that the laws and policies of the state of Washington in many ways, in many, in, in many of the most important matters are an egregious destruction of human dignity, are disruptive of 
authentic flourishing in human life. It's a horror. It's a tragedy. And we're part of it. We live in the state of Washington. Everything from abortion to the practices surrounding contraception to no-fault divorce to the promotion of unnatural marriage, gay marriage, and installing it in laws, and the leveraging of that to go after the several civil rights of those who do not acknowledge that as an authentic expression that is part of God's plan for humanity, to the promotion of transgender ideology in ways that are completely destructive of these poor kids' confusions around sexual identity, to the heinous tragedy of comprehensive sexuality education as it's taking form now and expressions in the state of Washington, to the horrors that are around the, um, the ending of life in ways that are lacking authentic dignity and compassion, with the passing of the death with dignity, physician-assisted suicide laws. Look, this is the world in which we're living. And, and then... And that's just in some, just a few laws and policies, not to mention other uh, cultural expressions of our society that come through the form of the internet. Okay, so enough talking about that, because what I'm talking about today on Sound Insight isn't that I use the image of a, of a, of a bullseye, right? A target. And a target has a bullseye and then it has two outer rings that I'm talking about. Just so think of a three-ring target. And the center of the bullseye is the culture, the unspoken spirit and ideals, the atmosphere you foster in your home. And I say to you that that's not enough today to get your kids to be Catholic by the time they graduate from college. You will face the anguished cry of your kids no longer being Catholic, walking away from their faith, rejecting their faith, doubting their faith, not considering their faith when they choose a spouse if they ever get married versus just living together with them. And the kids that they give birth to, if they're even open to life, are kids that they're not likely to going to be baptized. Well, gee, that's the reality you're facing if you only focus on fostering faith in your home. Your kids will feel increasingly isolated and the practices that are part of your home life will be considered extreme. It will. And if you don't get this yet, it's because you don't have kids in high school. <laughs> you don't have kids in college. If you fostered, a diligent, fostered diligently a deep Catholic faith in your home, intentionally, deliberately, fostering Catholic practices in a Catholic atmosphere, imbibing the fullness of our Catholic faith and promoting that, then when your kids leave those doors and go into typical environments outside those doors, you should expect that those realities are going to be attacked. They're going to be undermined. They're going to be cleverly, vigorously, and even um, with a sense of adamant, uh, uh, with a sense of being um, promoted with a, a way that says, if, if you embrace traditional Catholic beliefs, who, you're so, you're such a hater. Like, why are you such a bigot? Like, why do you want to destroy people's lives? Why don't you just, like, live and let live? And I'm like, these people are children of God. They've got dignity. And we want to approach them with a vision of life and, and good news that will unbind and set them free from the darkness that harasses them, from the anxiety that plagues them, from the, the, uh, the lies that are swirling around them and lead them to confusion and despair, that lead them into darkness and spiritual bondage. And ultimately, 
can lead them on a downward path into an eternity of misery in hell. I'm sorry, I love people too much not to tell them the truth, but strive to tell them that truth in a loving way. So what's at stake, parents, are your kids finding a correspondence between the culture that you foster in your home and a support and an encouragement and an accountability to do that in your parishes. And so yesterday on the program, I was talking a bit about the typical Catholic parish today is not going to be a place where you find significant correspondence between the culture that you're fostering in your home, if it's an intentionally, deliberately uh, full Catholic one, and the culture, the spirit and ideals and atmosphere that you have in your parish. Now, why is that the case? Well, I started to get into this yesterday, and here's, here's how I want to like describe it to you. So I've done church work now since 1989. That's a long time ago. Goodness, 32 years. 32 years, and before that, five years in the seminary. Um, so in those 37 years, um, one of the things that became clear to me pretty early on, and it was something that I would note and take account of, in the course of the church work that I would do. And it was this. I was often in the position of being a speaker, speaking in front of crowds. And so those crowds could be young people, could be men, women, married couples, could be just regular parishes, it could be at conferences, so um, it could be uh, church professionals, right? Hold positions of whatever sort. And um, it could be in parish missions, retreats, conferences, workshops, all these different kind of environments. Now, even though there was such a diversity among all those different kinds of audiences and all those different kinds of presentations themselves, one of the thing, one of the things that was uh, common to them all was the spirit of faith that was present in the room. This would be a common denominator among the groups. And here's what I mean. When I could come into an environment and there was a vigorous Catholic faith in a majority of the participants or in a significant degree of participants, it created an atmosphere, an atmosphere that was, I was going to use the word electric, but expectant might be another word, um, an attitude of like, like there was this, there was an attitude of spirit, like the spirit was there. Or, or, or a stronger would be, there's like there's this anointing there. And I gotta tell you, it was like the most delightful thing and the most like spiritually empowering thing for me to speak in those settings where the spirit of faith was palpable in the environment. <gasps> there was a Catholic culture of faith. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm talking about um, the reality of, of, well, the reality, the significance, the importance, the excruciatingly necessary reality of having a rich Catholic culture in the parish where you attend in order to complement and supplement, to help foster and form, to promote and enhance the culture that you're forming in your home. 
Okay, so that's what I'm talking about today in Sound Insight. And I'm talking about it because I want you to avoid the agony and the anguish of having your kids leave their faith by the time they leave college. And by the way, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. I'm not talking about if you do these things that you're going to call me up in 10 years and said, I did these things and my kids still left their faith. You're, you're wrong. <laughs> right? No, I won't delight in that. Right. And, and you won't delight to tell me I'm wrong. No, it's about doing what you can to set your kids up for success, to ready them, to get them to be ready to and disposed to live their Catholic faith and have it be fostered in the Catholic college where they attend, right? I, I could take one minute and say this about the Catholic college they attend. Super simple. If you want my support, son or daughter, financially to the extent that I can give it, I will provide that support financially to the extent that I can give it if you go to one of these schools. Think the Newman's Guide. But think even within the Newman's Guide, the school that's going to be the best fit for your kid, because you need to know your kid. What's their personality? What's their temperament? What's their aptitude? What are they good at? What are the things that they'll encounter at that school versus this school? Is it a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger? Is it going to have a little bit more breadth of programs? Is it going to have uh, the kind of, of uh, setting, suburban, rural, city, that's going to be best for them? And so we definitely discerned that for our daughter, Mary Catherine. We did not want her going to school right around here. We said Franciscan is right for her. She's going to have a big enough student body. We know the kind of kids that she'll typically encounter there, not only because Carrie graduated from there, but she has so many friends with kids that graduated, uh, so many friends that graduated from there that had kids that they were sending there, plus some other local families that we knew that had kids that were there. It's like that will be like optimal environment to set her up for success, to be able to find kids that she'll connect with, she'll feel good about, but kids that will be, guess what? Coming from families like hers. So she won't, they'll be able to laugh together about, oh yeah, this is what we do in our family. Oh yeah, I can up that. Here's what we do in our family. And oh yeah, well, I guess we should be praying a rosary because that's what we do in our families and that's how we grew up. And hey, let's go to Mass today even though it's a weekday, right? So this will be the environment that we felt was going to be the most important for her at this age and stage in her life. And so just to hear that, like, it wasn't principally about the academics. It really wasn't. Now, we... we found a program that we think fits her personality, her temperament, what she's, her aptitude, and something that'll be valuable for her. Um, so it does have a, a program where, where that'll be the case, but it wasn't like, find the best marketing program in the country. No, it wasn't that. Let's, let's get her into a place where um, she's going to be in classrooms with teachers who love their faith and who foster a great environment in their classrooms to be with other kids who will there bring faith into that environment so that faith will be expected. Ah, atmosphere, culture. Yes, yes, yes. That's what we want. A culture in the Catholic college that's dense enough, rich enough, and it'll be fostered and promoted enough among the older kids so the younger kids, the new kids coming in, will be absorbed into that culture so that it'll be fostered and promoted. Okay, get that. Now transfer that back to the parish, Right? That in your family, if you're raising your kids like this, you want to take them to a parish where they're going to have a sense of fostering a particular way of seeing consciousness, a particular way of relating attitudes, and a particular way of behaving, actions. 
Awareness, attitude, action. Awareness, attitude, action. Consciousness, uh, way of how they see, how they relate, how they behave. That's John Paul II. The way that you get a culture, the way that you foster and build an environment, the way you promote and deepen an environment that has a greater density, a greater strength, a greater radiance, is by fostering the same mindset in the kids, the same way of seeing life. And that's going to give rise, tumble down to, overflow into a common way of relating to things that are part of their life, like things like going to mass, like going to confession, like what's right and what's wrong, what's fun and what's not, what's good and what's evil, what's life all about, what's life not all about, and where do we want to live, and how do we want to live, and what do we want to do with our lives, and how do we see married life, and how do we see dating relationships, and how do we see and are open to to life in our lives and as we have kids where do we want to be living right these are the things that are really traced back to culture the the behaviors are traced back to attitudes and the attitudes are traced back to seeing consciousness awareness that's john paul ii it's absolutely brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and so you want to bring your kids to a parish that has a richness of culture that the atmosphere is palpable. And so just before the break, what was I talking about? I was talking about when I would go and give talks, like at a conference, especially if I was like at a conference of those who like made sacrifices to be there, intentionally chose to be there, wanted to be there, and were excited about what was happening there. Like, what did that do, right? It just made everything like that much more impactful, right? People, when they gathered to, when the crowd was together to sing a song, to say a prayer, to respond to the speaker, that the, the enjoyment, the enthusiasm, the, the expectancy was just like high and growing. And boy, speakers could feed off of that. And it would just like elevate their talks. I call, I said the word anointing, the sense of this talk is anointed. And it wasn't just because that particular person prayed well today, was free from sin today, um, and um, like sort of said the right formula, and all of a sudden God's anointing came. No, it wasn't that. Though I will say this, that I can think of one time, maybe two times in my 30 years of giving talks, over 2,000 talks, I can remember two times where I remember that I was... I had this consciousness that I was in sin and that spiritually I wasn't in a good place. And the environment I was in actually had more living faith than I did at the moment when I gave the talks. And I could just remember, especially in one of those circumstances, the talk was just falling flat. It was just dying. I was not on I was saying some of the same words. I was using some of the same stories. I was sharing some of the same insights, but it was dead. It was dead. The spirit was not activated in me. I was dead. And I can remember apologizing to the pastor, who was my friend who brought me in. It was a parish mission. And I just shared that with him. And he said, I could tell. He said, I could tell. He said, I've never seen that. Like, I've never seen you like that before. Because he came in at the end and he brought this revived spirit to awaken the people and to move among them and to stir and foster and to flame the gift of the spirit. He had to step in and like bring about a recovery from what I had failed to bring 
because I wasn't there spiritually. Did you hear that? I showed up. I was giving the same talk, following the same outline, telling the same stories, but spiritually I was dead in that moment. And so it didn't radiate. It, what did it radiate into the atmosphere? Not a spirit of faith, not a spirit that was anointed, not I wasn't feeding the culture. In fact, I was going against the culture of faith that was present there. And so imagine this now, right? That this is what's at stake for you where you go to Mass as a family. This is what's at stake for you regarding where you bring your family to go to Mass. It's that your family, you're going to be bringing the, the culture that's at home in your family into, you're going to plunge it into the environment that you're around. And in the, at the end, the last section of the last program, I was beginning to describe to you the culture of the parish I'm in and why it is my family moved, literally uprooted, tore up our family, tore up our five teenagers from their relationships, their teams, the places where they were living, uh, they were accustomed to, their friendships, and the nearness to our family, the, the sense of economic availability and opportunity that was there, and just said, none of these things is as important as our kids' spiritual lives. None of these things is as important as our kids' faith. And, our, and, the, and the capacity, the likelihood that their faith would be alive, the likelihood that their faith would be fostered and grow, grow and develop. And we are going to move. We're going to move 300, and, 300 miles to take them to a place where they will be more likely not guaranteed, more likely no guarantee, but better disposed and plunged into the midst of a community where they're going to bump into Hundreds of families, hundreds of families, as compared to a few that look like ours, that are striving to act like ours, that are striving to root their lives, their identities, and their missions around the fullness of the church's teaching in every way, in every way. Not hesitant about believing what the church teaches, not um, using clever arguments around conscience and clever sources of church teaching, uh, clever, clever uses of church teaching that manipulated to fit the, the moral standards of the day by um, teachers who, prof who prophesy and teach false ideas and are literally destroying and disrupting God's plan in marriages through promoting or permitting contraception, through ignoring sexual sin before marriage, through failing to call out and challenge couples about being chaste and not living together, to providing compassionate accompaniment to those who experience same-sex attraction without for a moment promoting or permitting unchaste behavior and sexual expressions, to taking on, you know, okay, you get it, you get it, you get it, right? So, um, so what's it going to take? It's going to take a parish where you can immerse your kids in an environment where they're going to discover the authentic joy and the true flourishing that comes from living their Catholic faith in its fullness. Let me say that those phrases again. 
that they will experience the true joy, the authentic flourishing. And do you know what that means? That means peace and freedom. Do do you know what that means? To experience authentic joy and true flourishing? It means that the truth of God, as it is revealed and expressed in the Catholic Church and in her teaching, when it's planted into someone's mind, when it's planted into the core of their heart, it's going to give rise to a way of seeing life that is joyful. And it's going to present them with opportunities to be nurtured and grow in that life and to overcome the obstacles and the spiritual diseases called sin that get in the way of living that life through the sacraments, through the Eucharist, through the sacred liturgy, through confession that will lead them to flourish. They will know is peace and freedom. Come on, do you want that for your kids? Do you want that for your kids? Of course you do. Then do what it takes to bring your family into settings where they're going to see other families that look like them, that are acting like you, and that will make them feel like they're not so alone, weird, different, or extreme. That's, again, what our kids would say to us when we were going to the Novus Ordo parishes back on the west side, back in the Federal Way area, back in the um, uh, Burien area, when we moved to be closer to Kennedy Catholic. And, um, and, and our kids, even at Kennedy Catholic and at St. Francis, why are we so extreme, Dad? Why do we do things that other families don't do? Why do we not get to do things that other families let their kids do? Why do we believe these things when they're so extreme compared to what our peers are saying to us in the schools and what is being bombarded at us on social media platforms and in the neighborhoods and the community around us? That, my friends, is a toxic, caustic, corrosive mix that is decaying, diminishing, and destroying the vibrant Catholic faith that you're attempting to foster in your home. It will not be enough. It will not be enough for the great majority of families to simply think we can hunker down, we can wall ourselves off and just not engage in the community around us and not send our kids to the schools around us And somehow, then, when our kids get old enough to leave, release them out into the world, and somehow they're going to navigate their way into a full-flourishing Catholic life when they graduate from college. Well, Tom, what's the difference between doing that on the West Side, kind of walling ourselves up in a homeschool situation, and not engaging in what you're doing out there and what you're experiencing at St. Joan of Arc. I'll tell you in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So today I'm talking about, this is part two of a conversation I'm having with you. Uh, I guess, truth be told, it's because I'm having this conversation so regularly with so many parents 
who are calling. And you see how I said that? Parents, right? It's very rarely like, oh, here's a retired couple, right? Empty nesters. And um, they're thinking about like taking more intentional action to preserve their faith. Because if you're an empty nester, you can you can make it. You really can. Because the degree to which you are going to interact with others in the nurturing and growing of your faith is going to be such that you're going to bump into a lot of people that look like you at a typical parish. You know, uh, older couples that are empty nesters. And you're going to be less impacted by social media platforms that are overwhelming your kids' lives. And you're going to have the ability to ignore and avoid situations that so many others are facing on the playgrounds, on sports teams, and the school halls, and things of that sort. Now, many of you still face the anguish of, what do I do to help my kids or my grandkids? That's a different pain. That's a different sorrow. And um, maybe what you could say to them is, maybe what I'm going to say to you is, tell them to listen to these programs. <laughs> and then, then you'll follow them here. You'll follow them or to places like here. It doesn't have to be here. It can be places like here. So, so today in Sound Insight, talking about culture. Culture in John Paul II's way of looking at things is it's going to be the way in which Catholic faith flourishes in an entire society. Society is different than culture. Society is like the town you're living in and the laws and policies of that town and the, um, and the, just the way that you guys interact and operate and, and the different activities that are available there. Culture is the unspoken spirit and atmosphere that is expressive of the morals, values, and ideals of that particular society, of those that are walking among them. Now, when you have a particularly diverse set of folks that are walking among them, the culture is going to be in a battle. You're going to have the culture of life versus the culture of death, and you're going to have people with differing and contrasting and conflicting cult, uh, cultures bumping up against each other. That bumping up against each other was certainly apparent 50 years ago, but less painful. And over the last 50 years of my life, I've seen the increasing separation between the dominant culture in the society in which we were living, and the culture that we were fostering in our own home. And that is increasing. And what's happening is more and more of you that are living in the Puget Sound area are realizing what in the world is going on around me between critical race theory, between gender ideology, between the craziness of COVID laws and policies of so much that you just you say to yourself, is, is, the, is there any alternative? And all it takes is one visit. It happened again last night. <laughs> Sorry, we have someone staying with us. And we took her to dinner in Coeur d'Alene in Mass on Saturday, first Saturday at St. Joan of Arc. And then uh, this morning uh, to the 845 Mass. And it's like, I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm back in normal life. I am just stunned and amazed by what I've seen and heard, what I've been plunged into and what I experience. She was just like in awe of the fact that she went to a, a mass yesterday, Saturday. It was a first Saturday. I'm recording this on a Sunday, uh, on first Saturday. And um, there were hundreds of people at a Saturday morning mass at nine o'clock. And she said, she was overwhelmed 
by the fact that most of the attendees were families with little kids at this first Saturday Mass. And it's like there's more families at this first Saturday Mass than there is at the most popular Sunday Mass that I attend back on the West Side. It's a different... Not that it's not a different mass. Well, yeah, it's a traditional Latin mass versus the new mass, but that's not my focus. My focus is on the people that are there. It's the culture. It's the spirit. It's the ideals. It's what's in the atmosphere. It's the way of seeing life. It's the attitude towards life. It's the way they're living their lives. Open to life. Open to lots of children. Seeing this as a beautiful gift from God and striving to live in a way that says, I'll sacrifice economically, I'll sacrifice in lifestyle for the sake of having a community around me that is supportive of how it is I want to live. That's the difference. That's what I'm talking about. Just before the end, I was saying to you, what's the difference that I'm talking about, right? It's, it's the different in, in spirit. And then going to Mass this morning, right? 8.45 Mass, I already told you, completely full to overflowing. And you had to get there 15 minutes early. But I didn't even talk about, like, how were people dressed? Dressed in their Sunday best. Dressed in their Sunday best. What was the attitude? What was the outward way of relating to the Mass? Now, kids get bored, right? Kids aren't fully engaged. But I know this. I know that my kids, they realize their way of seeing the Mass and that's washing over them. It's starting to sow into them the way they're relating to their presence at Mass. They realize without question, I've got to dress my Sunday best. And when I go, I'm going to be reverent. They are so much less likely to be fidgety and to be chit-chatty next to them, to the one next to them. They have an outward form that's more reverent. Now, interiorly, hey, still working on it, still washing over them, still sowing into them, still seeds sowing into them. But you know what they see? They see hundreds of other families that look like them. Big Catholic families, lots of kids, close in age, and they see lots of kids their age. Lots of kids. Pick the grade, second, fourth, sixth, eighth, tenth, twelfth, college-age kids, young adults, young couples, young married couples with little kids. They see this. And you know what? They could go talk to any of these kids, any of these families, and then what their typical response is going to be is, oh, I love being Catholic. Oh, yeah, being Catholic is what it's all about. Oh, I, I, I want to live. I want to marry a Catholic. I want to raise a Catholic family. I want to do so in a, in, a, in a church community like this. That's the typical reality. So after Mass, coffee and donuts, hundreds of people Tons of kids and families. And I'm meeting new families every week. I met a new family after Mass this week. I said, hey, I haven't seen you here. Oh, yeah, well, we just started coming in the last couple of weeks. And I said, why did you come? And they said, do you have to ask? <laughs> that was their response. Do you have to ask, like, why we're here? So it's a you know youngish couple with like four or five little kids. And I'm like, no, I get it. <laughs> and and they drive they're actually from Spokane Valley and so they drive past like five parishes to get to that parish why culture 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 it's the atmosphere 
So just like I talk about standing in front of a crowd that is full of faith and it evokes faith in me, it fosters my expectant faith, it moves me towards a more anointed way of, of speaking in that moment, of speaking to that group. When I bring my family to that parish and plunge them into that mass, it's going to foster a more reverent participation at that mass. It's going to foster a sense of expectancy that says, this is what's typical. This is what's normal. This is what's expected. This isn't extreme. This isn't weird. This is what's natural. Ah, this is what's supernatural that's become natural. It's soaking into them. This is how I see what it is to go to mass. This is how I'm supposed to relate to mass. This is how I behave at mass. It's beautiful. I'm sorry, it's not beautiful, it's glorious, right? It's glorious. This is what we want, right? And please, 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 this isn't about pharisaical showing up in outward external conformity that says, ha-ha, we got here 30 minutes early and we got into the front row, and ha-ha, look at how we're dressed, and we all have the right missiles, and we have the most beautiful veil and the most beautiful jacket and tie, and our kids are dressed most reverently, and look at how they're behaving externally, and we've got our rosary out, and look at that. You know, uh, no. Now, is it possible that that's there? Yeah. It's possible. That It's possible anywhere, right? It's possible at any parish. Now, is there maybe an inclination that it could lead to something like that, where those who focus a lot on, hey, there is a, a, a there is a, a correctness, there's a, there's a fittingness in terms of external, like uh, conformity to the way that you're supposed to behave. Yeah, those who are striving to achieve that ideal may look around and be more judgmental at others who are not achieving that ideal, but that doesn't undermine the principle. It doesn't undermine, but it can It can do what? It can corrode the spirit, right? It can corrode the spirit. And so there is a way in which that will be a perennial temptation that must be, um, someone must be aware of and alert to repent of and have that spirit of openness to say, Lord, I thank you for giving me the gift of being in the midst of this group. Help me to add to it a beautiful spirit, add to that culture, add to that environment. And so... When we come back, I want to address this issue based on something that an old professor of mine said. I think it's a really important point, and it gets to the fact that the traditional Latin Mass itself isn't some magic pill. It isn't some like magical way to somehow solve the church's problems. It really is down to this culture issue, but it's related to it in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I'm talking about culture and uh, St. John Paul II's understanding of culture, right? It's not, again, listening to beautiful music and knowing your wines and and uh, knowing how to do certain kind of ballroom dancing and uh, being a cultured person. It's about the unspoken atmosphere that exists in an environment that embodies and expresses the ideals and values and the way of seeing and living life that is connected to those that are in that environment. So there is a culture that's involved in an operating room and in a research room in a scientist's house. It's a, there's a culture involved on a basketball team. There's a culture involved around a dinner table. It's these unspoken ideals that are present in a society. They're present in a church and they're present in a family. And my basic point following St. John Paul II's teaching on culture is that if you want your kids to be Catholic, foster a Catholic culture in your home. 
And that Catholic culture means that the ideals that you present to them, the values, the, the morals that are inherent in that environment are going to show up in how you live your life. It'll show up on the walls. It'll show up in how you speak to each other, how you relate to each other, how you spend your time, your money, how you spend your life. It's going to express something to your kids about what's really important. And so um, I was at the point now where I want to make a, um, a point that I, I learned from um, a professor of mine in the seminary. He was teaching a course called American Protestantism. And he traced um, Protestantism, maybe it was called Protestantism in America. Uh, he traced it from the founding of America all the way through to uh, the modern days. And, and modern days at that point was in the early 80s. Uh, is when I was in the seminary, uh, taking this particular class. And one of his really interesting points, and I didn't really get it, I didn't get it um, because I didn't have any experience of it, was of the Latin Mass. And he talked about the uh, American culture of Christianity present in the 50s. And he said, even then, in the again, this would be in the early mid-80s, he said that there was, uh, there's sort of a looking back at the 50s as this golden age of Catholicism and of Christianity. And he talked about it as the leave it to beaver, cult, leave it to beaver culture, right? Now, if you're my age, you get that. If you're older than me, you get that. If you're younger than I am, um, you may not know exactly what that refers to. So Leave It to Beaver was a very popular show. I think it was like in the mid maybe late 50s, early 60s. It was black and white is all I know. Um, and uh, Leave It to Beaver followed the, the, you know, the, um, the story of, well, uh, the Cleavers, right? And Beaver Cleaver uh, was the youngest Cleaver, and they had an older brother, Wally, and it was the mom and dad. And it was sort of this like ideal home, idyllic. The dad went to work, and he came home, and he smoked his pipe and read his paper. And uh, and, and the mom, uh, you know, had sort of a house dress and wore an apron and, and uh, you know, organized the house. And so the Leave it to Beaver, and there were other shows. My Three Sons was another one, and... Um, uh, another one that often gets like, you know, the same kind of uh, idea to it where, you know, mom and dad and the two sons and, 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 you know, it was a simple life in suburbia. Everything was good, right? The, no drugs, no like really bad things going on. And so the, you know, the little trouble that he or his older brother got into always got resolved by the end. Right. Uh, so, and, and, that was expressive of a certain like way of understanding what was going on in America. And so you see lots of um, sociological analyses and uh, uh, data about the participation in the life of the faith of Catholics in the 50s. Well, my professor was bringing up the point that this really is obscuring the fact that by the 50s, what remained in large measure in the churches was the outward conformity of faith without the heart, without the underground like spirit and ideals having been personally embraced. 
right? In John Paul II's language, it would be, you know, you've got the outward structures, you've got the commandments, you've got people following and conforming through their behaviors to expected morals that were in society. So society was providing the structures. So the culture present in society was this Judeo-Christian ethic that said, you go to church on Sundays, you strive to live a good life, you stay together as a married couple, you do what's right, you follow your duty. But his point was, if you took a closer look at the attitudes, at the consciousness of the way that these believers were living their lives, and you get a different picture. And so he talked about this decaying at an invisible level, at, a, at the level of the heart and the mind, the underground level. Again, these, these foundational sources that ultimately we come to birth in culture uh, and the culture of the society. And what remained was like the remnants of how you lived your life, but the heart was dying. And he said, that's what showed up in the 60s and beyond. So for him, if he were here and I was interviewing him today, he would say, yeah, you know, if you rely upon the culture present in the society, that outer ring, the outer ring, then just pay closer attention to the fact that the inner ring, the culture present in the church, and the center of the, the bullseye, the culture in your home, may in fact be built upon an empty or dead foundation. It's where the culture in the society itself is the whitewashed tomb. Because what's going on on the inside is actually not going to sustain it. And that's the theory. The theory is that we lost the culture in our society. And as a result, when that finally has come out into the open over the last 50 and 60 years, well, what's simply given birth, what has come out into the open, what is now expressed in our culture, in society, as a dominant mode, and there's still a battle going on, in the dominant mode is, in fact, the deadness that was present, but in a hidden way, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And those that are involved in pro-life efforts, those that are like readers of the cultural flow um, of our times. Um, I think of um, that book, the book called The Sexual State by Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. Uh, and I interviewed her, you, you remember, more than once about that book, uh, how, how elite ideologies are destroying lives and why the church was right all along. And she talks about, remember, the contraceptive ideology that separates sex from childbearing. That's a cultural issue. That's society saying our culture is able to separate sex from childbearing. And so contraception protects the threat of sex leading to conception. Then you have separating sex and childbearing from marriage, and that's the divorce ideology. And then you eliminate all distinctions between men and women, except those that individuals explicitly embrace. That's the gender ideology. So you see this downward flow, right, that has happened. And, and she traces this out. Well, my other professor would say, yeah, 
because we stopped doing what we needed to do in the family. And that stopped coming out into the open in our parishes. And so we were relying too much on society to provide us with the overarching culture that the rest of us could swim on, right? Because when I talk to my parents about like the traditional Latin mass and their experience of it, right? My dad did have some profound experiences as a convert of it. But the stories that I remember hearing from my priests when my faith came alive and I talked to them was, oh yeah, I mean, you know, the traditional Latin mass was not some panacea. It wasn't like all the Catholics going to traditional Latin mass were fervent and devout and all these big families and all of this other stuff. No, it was it was a cultural adherence to the expectation that you go to Mass on Sunday and let's find the priest who will do the Mass in the 40 minutes uh, or 28 minutes and that's the priest we want to go after and we're just put, kind of sitting there maybe praying a rosary uh, and, oh, the bells ring because I know when to look up or kneel now. So it wasn't like you know, our experience of going to St. Joan of Arc was the experience of every Catholic before the Second Vatican Council or every Catholic that went to the traditional Latin Mass before the Council or during the Council until the new Mass. No, that wasn't the case. The culture was still dominant. That cult, the, sorry, the culture in our society was the thing that was being carried forward. And we weren't doing enough in homes back in the 50s to foster that intentional, deliberate Catholic way of seeing. It was too easy to rely on the parishes and society, those outer rings. And so how so today the challenge is those outer outer rings are are not just are not fostering our faith in general. The outer ring is destroying it. The these the inner ring, the church is often diminishing it. And so we have to go back to the family first and then build out from there but we need our parishes. All right, God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.